Here's an oldie but a goodie from the archives with one of my favorite people to talk to, Vincent Puglisi from TotalLifeFreedom.com and the Total Life Freedom podcast. He's got a new book out called The Wealth of Connection. Vincent was gracious enough to send me an advanced copy. It's filled with fun stories and some concrete examples of how you can intentionally build your network and strengthen your relationships. Again, that's The Wealth of Connection. Grab yourself a copy on Amazon or at Vincent's site, TotalLifeFreedom.com. And now, on with the show. Freelance to freedom, from 30 grand a year to 30K in a day. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Because your dream job is out there, you've just got to create it. Hat tip to Jared Martin for sharing that one. And it's appropriate because this is an episode about creating your dream job. My guest today thought he had it, at least on the work front, but it just didn't come with the dream job salary. It was what I was considering my dream job. 10 years earlier, I had started in photography. I'd landed a great newspaper job. I was in Evansville, Indiana, my wife and I both. And it was a beautiful situation. I was, I got to travel to shoot the NFL. I used to cover the Rams and the, the Colts and the Titans. I, used to, I shot the Super Bowl with them and all di- big, big events. Yeah. But we wanted to start a family and we were both making, you know, $15 an hour and working crazy hours as newspaper and journalists do. So you don't really think about it too much. You just kind of survive. You just kind of survive. So here's Vincent, early to mid thirties, baby on the way, six figures in debt, most of which is a mortgage and earning $15 an hour. But this is where the story gets crazy because fast forward four years, he's debt free. He's still taking pictures for a living, but he's doing it as a freelancer, making more money and working fewer hours. That's freed up all sorts of time to work on other projects like business coaching. He's got a new book called Freelance to Freedom. You can find it at freelancetofreedombook.com and even an online training course that did 30 grand on launch day, which gave us the hook from 30 grand a year to 30K in a day, from surviving to thriving. Stay tuned to hear how he got it done and how you can apply similar strategies to the skills on your own resume. Notes and links from this one are at sidehustlenation.com slash Vincent. It's V-I-N-C-E-N-T. While you're there, you'll also be able to download the free PDF highlight reel summary with all of Vincent's top tips from this conversation. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this conversation with Vincent after the interview. Now, let's set the stage from... Evansville, Indiana, Vincent has just won the most prestigious award in his industry, International Sports Photographer of the Year. That's a big deal. So he's good at what he does. So he goes in to talk to his boss at the newspaper about getting a raise. And the conversation doesn't really go how he expected it to. Ready? Let's do it. So I had my big meeting. This was in June and Andrew, our son, was due in July. And I sat down and my boss said, I can remember him rubbing his eyes and taking off his glasses. And he said, I did the best I could. He said, everybody else is getting nothing because budget. He goes, I got you 3% as a raise. And and I looked at him and I said, I said, 3% of your salary might be something, but on (laughs) $32,000, 3% isn't anything. And he kind of, he couldn't even laugh, even though I, you know, with our relationship, he would have laughed because we had a really, you know, good relationship together. And he said, there's nothing else. I tried for 4%. And I remember thinking he tried for 4% and couldn't even get 4%. Yeah. And you're like 4% nothing is nothing. It's nothing. So I, I still remember like yesterday standing in the door frame of his office and I said, it's over. I said, this is over. And this was like my dream. This was the one like, it wasn't like some job that I just had. Like this was what I wanted to do. Did you have a number in your head? Like what would have been an acceptable raise? If he would have given me 10%, which I, which what I was thinking and expecting, I would have stayed. Okay. I would, there would have been no problem. I would have, okay, I'm going to make 40 I don't know what it would be, yeah. you know, 38 grand. And I would have been thrilled with it. I would have been, okay, I get to do what I want to do. 
But something about the 3% just hit me in the gut. I was like, this is never going to change. And I looked out in the newsroom and I saw everybody that just, com- and it kind of just started hitting me. Everybody's complaining. Nobody has any money. Nobody has control of their time. When I want vacation next June, I have to put in for it in September. And I remember like, I have no freedom. Even though I like the stuff that I do, I have no freedom. So that day, I instead of going out looking for pictures, I went home and I got angry. And I called my dad to see if I can get some side work with him because I knew I was going to have to make some money. Yeah. My son's being born. Yeah, I got diapers to buy. I got baby, you know, whatever formula and all this stuff. All stuff. And my wife wants to stay home if, if we can. So that was an interesting day. Yeah, you're going from, from the prospect of going from two incomes to one plus having additional expenses. Okay, so you, so you call up dad. And yeah. what, so dad has a, what's dad's business? He is a draftsman. So he basically in New York, he drafts the, the, for the architects to build buildings. Okay. But you're in Indiana. I'm in Indiana, but I used to work for him when I lived in New York. Cause I'm from New York. I used to do side work for him. Okay. So I called him up thinking maybe I could just make some extra work through him. You know, if I could do some extra work with him while I do my job, it could pay for, like you said, it could pay for diapers. It could pay for formula. And he shot me down. <laughs> he said, I can't help you. He said, everything's changed in 10 years. I'd need to train you again. You're 15 hours away. And he said to me, instead of like just saying, okay, let me write you a check or surrogate coding, he, he said, you know what? You're, he didn't say this, you're screwing up, but it's what he implied. He said, you know, you have a skill, but you're not using it correctly. Because for years he told me, you could shoot weddings, you could do corporate work. Why are you just doing this? And I was like, no, I'm a journalist, you know, basically I'm too good for weddings. Like that's wedding photography is not what we want to do. Yeah. So he said, you have a skill, but you're not using it correctly. And I, and I listened to him for the first time in a while. And that really just hit me when he said that. And that changed, literally changed our life from that moment on. You have a skill, but you're not using it correctly. And I think this applies for so much more than just something like photography. I mean, the newspaper was treating your pictures as a commodity. I mean, they needed to run the paper every mm-hmm. single day, whereas a bride is like going to cherish these pictures forever. And so the price point is significantly higher. Completely different. But I didn't even realize there's a stigma <laughs> apparently against, well, you're, you're trained as a journalist. So there's a stigma against like shooting weddings. <laughs> there was, it's, it's less now, you know, but with the journalism world collapsing, it's kind of like, oh, wait a second. You know, you used to be able to make a good living for a lot, for the most part, a decent living. And you got to do what you wanted to do. And there really was, I mean, I hate to say it, but it was like, I'm not a wedding photographer. I'm a journalist. Yeah. <laughs> there really was some of that arrogance and I could laugh about it now, but I really meant it then. So he said that to me and I was like, Okay. I said, what do you mean? So I just kind of, I succumbed and I listened and he explained it to me. And I said, okay, I'm going to, what else can I do? You know, I can't get another job. So I started calling wedding photographers out of, out of the phone book. They had a, you know, we still had a phone book and every one of them told me no. And they knew who I was. Like I'll be your second shooter for whatever upcoming dates you have. Exactly. Can I help you out? Can I do this? Could I do that? And they all basically, okay, you know, no. I, I think there were about 12 people Okay, that said no. And I, w- I still remember like sweating, sitting on our bed, being like, what? It was like mid-June. It's so hot. And I, I'll never forget. I took the phone book and I threw it against the wall as hard as I could. And I, you know, you always hear like, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And I said to myself, I said, well, if you can't join them, beat them. That's <laughs> okay. the only thing you can do. And I, I remember saying that, staring at the wall. And I said, we're starting a business. I knew nothing about what I was talking about. I knew nothing about business. I never studied it. I studied photography. I studied to get a job. So that moment on, we shot a couple of weddings for free. Elizabeth went to, to a church and she found a bride that was just kind of doing wedding planning. And she just offered to do the wedding for free. The girl loved it and told her friend about it who hired us. So we got four weddings booked within three months for money. 
And then the next year we had 25 weddings booked. Well, this is kind of the paradox of it is like, well, you need experience to get the gigs. You need a portfolio to get the gigs and you need the gigs to get the portfolio. So you said, yep. okay, I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to do the first one for free to get some wedding pictures, basically. Yeah. I went through my portfolio and, you know, we had taken our camera to a couple of friends' weddings. So I had some pictures from there and I did an assignment for a newspaper where it was a wedding. So I literally had 40 pictures from three different weddings that we never got paid a dime for. That was our first website. Okay. Okay. Makeshift portfolio. Okay. And Elizabeth built, what was it? I was trying to think Dreamweaver was the name of the program that Elizabeth used to develop a rickety old website just to get pictures up. It was 2005. Yeah. And it was funny because we were in our, our class for having Andrew, like a birthing class. And the teacher said, oh, I see you guys are photographers. My daughter's getting married. And I was like, okay. And we used to say no to everything. And we're like, yes. So we had a meeting and she put together the website and we she booked us. This was like within a month of the whole thing happening. We made, I think it was $1,500. And we're like, wait a second, we're going to make $1,500 in one day when I'm coming home with $100 a day at the newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> and your mind just starts going. And then the next wedding got higher and we're like, wait, okay, okay, something's happening here. That's awesome. So you still work in the newspaper and now like come next wedding season, like it's full for Like we're, you know, stigma aside, we're going full we're going. head on into this. Yes. And what we didn't do is we didn't quit our job, even though I wanted to. We knew we got to get the boat close to the dock. So when we're ready to go, we don't sink. So we basically, what we decided to do, which I think I had never read in any book, but I came up with this idea. And I said, well, if we could live off of my salary, if we could just live off of my salary and we could pay down our debt, because we had $140,000 in debt. If we could pay down our debt with the business money, by the time the debt's paid off, the business is going to be mature. So there's no chance of doing something stupid. This was credit card debt, the house? And our house. Yeah. Student loan and the house. So we just made this made this pact. We're going to put every dime toward the debt. So three and a half years later, we paid off everything, including the house. Wow. What's, what did that look like in terms of the hustle required and the, and the sleep and the raising a, a baby and you know, shooting weddings every weekend? Like, you know, what did that look like? Everybody thought we were crazy. Everybody thought, you know, my mother-in-law, my parents got it a little bit. They understood. I think they saw the pain. First thing we learned was that it wasn't as hard as we thought. It wasn't as painful as we thought. Because as we kind of reduced the outgo and we kind of took kind of some of the luxuries out of our life, we were like, we don't really miss this. We kind of like the simple life. We don't miss it. So, okay, we can sacrifice. Let's just see if we can do a little bit more. And by the time we got there, we got so engaged by it. And then what happened was we started envisioning our future for the first time ever. It wasn't just, I just want to get a car and I want to just do this this weekend. It was like, wait, what do we want life to look like? And that was maybe the most important thing. So we kind of laid out 10 years from now, we might have two or three kids. What do we want to be doing? Do we want to be shooting 30 weddings a year? And even then we said, no, but we want to build this up so we have the freedom to do that. So when we sat down and we kind of described what we wanted life to look like, maybe not what we'd be working on, but what we wanted to be able to do every day, which was wake up and do the work that we want to do. Because we knew work was going to change. We're going to do different things. But I want to be able to not answer to somebody else. I want to not worry about money. I don't care about luxury at that point, but I don't want to worry about money. So that kind of really gave us the drive to, okay, we could sacrifice for a couple of years. We only had one really bad year to sacrifice. That was really tight. And then it got better. So that's what, I mean, it's, it was an interesting three and a half years, but it, it flew by when we did it that way. Well, it sounds like it flew by because there was never any time off. Like in the book, you talk about doing... 39, 40 weddings in a year? Like that's almost every weekend. That's nuts. 
2007, we called it the year of work. 37 weddings. Our second son, Nolan, was born and I was still at the job, but we were also six months away from quitting. So I kept, I literally had a countdown. I'd walk out of the building. I'd be like, 100 more days, 99 <laughs> more days, 98 more. So I would do that. So I'd use that as motivation. We could have quit sooner. We could have, we could have probably done it a year earlier and probably been fine. But I think there was something about the goal of like, let's get everything, let's get everything done. And then the day that we quit, there was no stress. And then six months later, the stock market crashed and it didn't, it didn't affect us at all. We we're like, we're fine. We'll be okay. And that was the, it's all only because we did that. Because you didn't have any debt. You weren't kind of living beyond your means and you kind of built up this, this business on the side, this freelance business. Yeah. We had, we, by, by the time, I mean, I remember when Goldman Sachs, when it collapsed, Lehman Brothers, we had 29 weddings booked. They already put their retainers in. They weren't canceling the weddings. And, you know, we had people tell us, you know, everybody that was in the jobs said to us, like, aren't you worried about the security? And I said, well, here's the thing. Like if one person or two people fires us, that's a small percentage of our, of what we have coming in. And then we could always book another one. I said, but if one person fires you, you're done. You've got your income goes to zero. And I I don't think they looked at me like they never thought of that before. When self-employment always seemed so risky, I thought employment seemed so risky. That's a really interesting way to phrase it. Yeah, I've got 30 clients. If one of them fires me, hey, it's no big deal. If five of them fire me, hey, it's no big deal. We'll still be fine. If you're, if you're relying on that one source of income, yeah, that's a, a little bit of a different position to be in. Okay, the question is, now you're still trading time for money. You figured out how to trade your time for more money through you know these yep. gigs. But at the same time, like if you stop working, the revenue stops coming in. Does that bother you at all? Or you're like, I don't, I don't mind that. It didn't for years. We kind of just did our thing. We had, you know, no one was born and then we moved to Pittsburgh, which we just made a lateral shift. We kind of uprooted our business and started over here. Okay. Well, tell me about that because this is, so my wife's side hustle is photography as well. And her and her partner kind of focus on doing wedding stuff. And we kind of talk about it being a location independent skill. You can take your camera anywhere you go, but kind of a location dependent business for your relationship with the different venues and your, you know, your word of mouth network here in California. So what was that like to, to like up and root a couple states away and say, well, now we're, now we're doing it over here. The idea of it was very interesting to me. My family came for Christmas one year after Nolan was born and they left. And I looked at my wife and I said, what are we still doing here? And she said, it's funny you ask. Cause I was thinking the same thing. Because we had quit the job, the business was going well, but we're 15 hours from my family in New York and we're eight hours from her family in Cleveland. So what are we still doing here? And I, you know, I had confidence that we could run a business. And the only thing was our clients are all here. So we kind of decided we'd like to be able to move closer. And I chose Pittsburgh because I grew up as a Steeler fan. Sorry to the Seahawks fans. <laughs> so I always knew Pittsburgh. I, you know, I'd, done, I'd shot Steeler games here. I'd shot the NHL draft here. And I knew the city and I knew it was beautiful. And I enjoyed it. It's hard to get a girl from Cleveland to move to Pittsburgh. Her, fa- her family's like, you're going to move. Why don't you move here? So we went and she loved it. And we said, okay, we're going to do this, but we can't do it yet because we have all these clients for the next year. So we said, okay, 18 months from now, we're going to do this. We're going to move in July of 2010. Okay. So I knew we can't just show up in Pittsburgh and get clients. So I learned a very big lesson in terms of relationship building and connections and a network because we built our network during that time. We basically went out and we got out there in SEO. We got our name built up a little bit in Pittsburgh and we started getting clients and we didn't book any of them. We basically took every client 
that came into us and we referred it out to the 10 photographers that we connected with the most in Pittsburgh. Wait, wait, wait. So, so you built a website, like a separate website for like Pittsburgh wedding photography? No, we, we basically changed all the everything over our website to Pittsburgh because we had everything booked for the year in, in Evansville. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Change the SEO targeting on your own site to say, okay, we're in Pittsburgh now. And so you start getting leads. Yep. But we couldn't take any of those leads. Those okay. leads are nine hours away. And we have a fully booked schedule. So we said, okay, well, we could either just say no or we could say, well, these 10 photographers here, we really like their work and they would really be a great referral partner with us. So why don't we just give everything we can to them and form a relationship? Not thinking, oh, it would come back to us. But you know, in the back of your head, you're thinking, well, that's the way it kind of usually works. So we sent all these weddings out. They started booking these weddings. Well, okay. So we kept sending them and then slowly they were sending them back to us. And so the, literally the day that we moved to Pittsburgh, July 19th, I had a, a meeting that morning for a wedding. We booked a client, a wedding higher than I think most that we ever booked in Evansville, higher price on the first day that we moved to Pittsburgh. And that was a referral from one of those people that we had sent to them. Wow. So you didn't have to go through the whole like portfolio building phase. Well, you already had the portfolio. You just didn't have the network in Pittsburgh. Yeah. So I think that month we booked three weddings and we never miss a beat. And just because the folks that you were referring to, they might, maybe they were already booked up on that date or something. And they say, hey, well, these guys have been feeding me leads for the last year. So I might as well send them some work that I can't take. Yeah. But I mean, we, we learned the thing like Mark Zuckerberg says the best referrals from a trusted friend. And it's, that's better than an SEO, you know, a Google search. You know, we would book it that way. But when somebody, when you've shot somebody's wedding, your, your wife knows this, you know, you shot somebody's wedding, they trust you. When you refer to somebody else that you trust, they elevate just so much higher in their mind. It's like, okay, you've now jumped over everybody else. And that helped us do that. So that was, you know, it's going to be my takeaway for you, for, for your audience too, in terms of deeper. Yeah, that was, that's what got us from Evansville to Pittsburgh without much of a struggle. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you, whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. 
And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, that's the beauty of wedding photography specifically is that people the age of people who are getting married, they know other people who are getting married. And so, you know, the following year, oh, you got to talk to my bridesmaid and all this stuff. Okay. So you moved to Pittsburgh and you do this. When you quit the newspaper job, was there any, I know you were counting down the days, but was there any hesitation in doing that? Like, I've got to give up my press credentials. I got to give up, like, this is what I went to school to do. You saw yourself as a journalist. You had access to these NFL games. Like, was that tough to walk away from? That was the toughest part because I, you know, I'd been a pro sports photographer for, I don't know how many years, 10 years at that point, 12 years at that point. And, uh, and I was starting to work on a project. I wanted to shoot games in every stadium and arena in the country. And I had shot in about six, 60 or 70 stadiums at that point. Okay. And I wanted to keep doing that, but they gave me the credentials. You can't just walk into Heinz Field to shoot a game. Somebody has to credential you to get in there. And I was basically killing that. So I still remember I shot, you know, I used to cover Peyton Manning and the Colts. I still remember I shot their playoff game versus the Chargers. And if they would have won, they would have carried on to go to the Super Bowl championship game. And if they lose, it's over. And they lost the last game at the RCA Dome. I remember walking out of there thinking it was the only day I was like, I'm going to, I'm losing this. I'm losing this, this part of my career that I, I love. But, you know, this purpose was bigger than that. And I always knew if I want to, I can get back into it through freelancing, through other, not through a newspaper, but through some wire services. So I kind of put it back. You know, I put that dream on hold for a couple of years. And then once we got to Pittsburgh, developed connections again. And, you know, now I've shot in over 140 stadiums, 80 since then. So it's continued. You thought that part of the work was maybe going to go away, but it turned out to not be that big of a deal. Like you were able to get access to get, to get credentials through other sources. Like how did that work? It actually got better because I mean, it comes down to relationships that you've built, people that you've met in the, in the industry. You, you know, I make it, a, I make it a very po- big point of my every day to reach out to people that I haven't spoken to just to connect without expectation, just see how they're doing, you know, send referrals their way and review their stuff. Like if they have a book or if they have a website, just do stuff like that. I heard something one time and they said, give more than you ever expect back before you ever ask for anything. And I was like, I love that. That's really interesting to think about because most people, they get desperate and they need money or they need a job. So they'll call you up out of the blue and like, oh, can you help hook me up with this? I'm like, I haven't heard from you in four years. Like, you know, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but if you just reach out to people, see how they're doing, send them a thank you card, stuff like this every once in a while. When you do say, hey, because my buddy Brian works for ESPN and I, it was about three years ago, I wanted to photograph LeBron James with the heat. I hadn't photographed him with the heat. And he's a producer for ESPN. And we've kept in touch. And when he was in New York, I connected him with my brother who got him in backstage for a Broadway show. Just kind of, you know, you just kind of learn this. I didn't grow up thinking like a giver. I had to learn this. So we did stuff for him whenever you have a chance. And then I messaged him. I said, any chance I can shoot game five of the conference finals with you in Indy? And he goes, come on down. That's all he said. Okay. Press pass waiting for me. The next day I'm two feet away from LeBron James. I'm like, wait a second. This is actually something that you can learn. Yeah. So what's work look like for you today? Are you still doing weddings every weekend with the with the kids, like get a babysitter for the kids? It sounds like you're still doing some travel for sports shoots and stuff like that. But curious what the hourly input is looking like today. Yeah, it's a mixed bag. We just finished our last wedding of the year on Saturday. It was our, it was our fifth wedding of the year. <laughs> we, did, we did five weddings this year. 
Okay. Which is dramatically down from the past. I still do some corporate work. What's an example of a corporate shoot? What is that? Like corporate events, like at a company, like some some big corporations, Giant Eagle here in Pittsburgh, they hire us to do it. Like I have one on Thursday, but we don't do a tremendous amount. What I try to do, basically, I know how much we need to live on. And when that number can be low, we can really make the decisions that we want to work. So we don't have a mortgage, so it makes it easier. So you're able to kind of sell the house in Indiana and pay cash or whatever in, in Pittsburgh? Yeah. Yep. In the Freelance to Freedom book, Vincent laid out an acronym called FRUIT to help you figure out your monthly living expenses. FRUIT stands for food, residence, utilities, insurance, and transportation. You add them all up, and that's your FRUIT number. And obviously, the lower your FRUIT number is, the uh, less you're going to have to work, and the easier it's going to be to ultimately achieve freedom over your time. Once we had no debt, we realized that number was about three grand a month. And I was like, wait a second, that's not that hard to do. If you can reduce that, then everything else is bonus. That's when everything gets good. So what we decided is we want to have multiple businesses that do that at the same time. So if the weddings slow down or we decide not to do weddings, it doesn't hurt us. If the coaching slows down or we decide not to do it, it doesn't hurt us. You have affiliate links, you have online courses. We want it to be where all we have six, seven different things that could fill that in. So that's been over the last two or three years that we've started thinking more like a business and less like a freelancer. Okay. So you've transitioned in from doing these, I'm going to get paid for, I'm going to come do this shoot for 10 hours and I'm going to get paid for my time and, and deliver you the pictures to more time leveraged businesses, such as the online courses. Are you creating content around this stuff? Like you don't have an audience that is turning to you and saying, well, I'm going to learn photography from this guy. No, because we never, you know, we never wanted to teach it. I, I would say the biggest mistake we made in the process, I was talking to people recently about this, is we always had people asking us about photography and we never wanted to teach it. We're like, no, that's not for me. I want to shoot. I want to shoot. I don't want to teach. And if we would have started this back in 2010, like so many other people did, we would have one of those things where everybody knows about it. We never did that, which was a failure on our part. You know, you learn. But another thing that I learned was collaboration. And this is the hardest part as a freelancer. It's like, I do it all myself. I don't want to collaborate. I want to run my own thing. But I met a guy named Kyle Schultz who runs a thing called Schultz Photo School. And he basically teaches parents how to take better pictures of their kids. It's a very successful business. I met him. I was in a mastermind with Aaron Walker and we went to a retreat. And it's funny because we were each telling about our vision and he told about his business, about this Schultz Photo School. And I went and told about my business and about my one shot project to shoot in all these stadiums. And he was sitting right behind me. And we sat down and we looked at each other and I said, I have an idea. And he looked at me and he goes, yes. (laughs) And I laughed and I said, you don't know what I'm going to say. And he said, okay, go ahead. I said, I should do a sports course for your school. Because he never taught them any sports photography, but you have all these parents that struggle with taking sports pictures of their kids because it's blurry or it's out of focus. So he's like, that's exactly what I was thinking. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. And just like that, the idea had started. And so that solves your audience problem. That solves my audience problem because he had a, has a huge email list. So I get to create the content and he does the funnels and that. And we teamed up and kind of like peanut butter and chocolate coming together. And all of a sudden you have a Reese's peanut butter cup. <laughs> That's kind of what happened. So I didn't, as much as I should have built the audience. The other thing that I learned was like, if you have a skill that you could bring to somebody else, you could use other people's audiences as a collaboration. Okay. Well, tell me, tell me about making this course. So you, you film this thing. <laughs> what, what did that look like? I mean, that's still like a daunting process to, to try and make 
from, from scratch? Like are you using your own kids as guinea pigs? Like what's going on? No, basically the thing is I had written an outline for this course two years earlier. I basically said, I'd heard about doing these. I would follow Dan Miller and he always talked about Swiss dollars, like sales while you sleep. He goes, I am not a fan of trading my time for money. I want to do it where I'd make something once and I could sell it a thousand times. Okay. And for years, I'd be like, what does that even mean? I have no idea how to even relate to that. I don't know products or digital. I don't. And then once we decided on an idea, I kept hearing his voice saying this. And I'm like, okay, wait a second. I wrote an outline for a sports photography course. I wasn't thinking for parents. I was thinking for beginning photographers. Okay. To kind of like do what you did, like to get on the sidelines at stadiums. Yeah. Never thinking, oh my goodness, there's about 2 million parents who want to take better sports pictures of their kids. They don't want to make a business of it, but they just want to take better pictures. Never thinking that this could be an option until I saw Kyle's business and his model. I'm like, wait a second, there are some people out there that probably would want this. So I took that outline. Elizabeth and I sat down. We spent one day and we wrote an outline to it, but based towards a parent and not towards a photographer that knows everything about you know their cameras and stuff like that. Okay, This is for somebody who really composition, lighting, their camera settings, things that they wouldn't normally might not get. So we wrote that out and presented the modules to Kyle. He loved it. We got together a couple of different trips and laid out the outline of the course. And then we got well, got about setting a recording. And then over a couple months, we recorded. Is it you on camera? Is it you talking over PowerPoints? What's- on camera, yep. I actually got PNC Park here in Pittsburgh where the Pirates play. I got them to a, This is Power of Relationships. We got to film the first couple of modules in the dugout at PNC Park, which wow. was a fun start to the <laughs> course. Awesome. The original idea was to do every module in a different stadium. But that was kind of cost prohibitive and, and time prohibitive at first. So let's, let's make some money with this thing before we spend $100,000. Yeah. So we did it in one stadium. Yes, that's why we, we did that. Then we filmed it in a couple of different locations. So that was about from April through July, we filmed the course. Okay. And we launched the charter course back in May. The charter launch was back in May. Okay. How'd that launch do? What'd you price it at? Price it $97 for the first day. And it was $117 for... The, it opened on a Friday and closed on a Wednesday. So the first day was 97 and the rest of it was 117 I think. Okay. Yeah. So it was open for, open for five days and it did, it did well. It did better than I thought. It did well. How much did it do? It did. It did crazy well. It did. Yeah. It, the first day. That's the funniest part. The end of the the, fr- the end of the Friday night. I I just I took a shower because I was sweating a lot because it was it was so such a interesting day. I kept you know going back and forth, going for different walks. Like, is this really happening? We launched on Friday morning at six o'clock. People had already found the the site and bought before it even actually launched. People were like doing searches for it. People that had heard about it okay. and. I, we told the story about me at the newspaper and I was struggling and making $32,000 a year in this newspaper job. And with the same skills, same everything, Kyle messaged me the next morning, here are the numbers for the first day. And we made over $32,000 in the first day. And I was like, isn't that ironic how that worked? I wound up bringing in $52,000 for the charter launch. So a whole different world opened up, but it was the same skill and mindset that it took me to shoot the pictures that we can do the same thing to build a course from. Yeah. A whole different world, man. That is nuts. 30 grand in one day. Of course, you got to split that with uh, with your partner in crime, Kyle. Yeah. But but now you have an asset that you can sell over and over again. Like it's not going to go out of style. The tools may change. The concepts and skills remain the same. What's, what's next? Are you kind of turning that into a, that's the thing with courses. Is it an evergreen course people could come and buy at any time? Or is it like, no, no, no. We're actually in the middle of a launch right now. Oh, okay. We're in the middle of our fall launch that closes tomorrow. How's it doing so far? 
It's going well. It's not going the way the first one did, but we didn't expect that because we didn't have a whole new list to work from. Okay. So in terms of we did affiliates, in terms of stuff like that, where it worked, it's going very well. Everything that we had expected has happened. But the point of this launch was just to get it out there. And then in 2018, when we start doing more of a webinar-based thing, where we teach it that way and then people come in, it can happen every day now. There could be a webinar every day. So the whole world, in terms of it's not just about two launches anymore. It's just continual. So if people find it, they can go learn a free course from us. And then if they want to buy, they can buy. If not, they can just continue getting updates on it or nothing at all. So it's very low pressure. I like it, man. That's nuts. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Okay. So you've got the, you've got the course, you've got the freelance biz. You started doing some coaching from vincentpuglisi.com. What else is going on? You got the book deal coming out. Like, tell me about the book. You would think like, it's funny because I go from, you know, working time for money to where I had these two big things for the year. And within two days, my first shipment of books arrived on Thursday and the course launched on Friday for good. And it was like, wait a second. This is, this is not life like I, like I remember it. This is a yeah. whole different world. So the book just came out. It launches January 2nd. We're in the whole process of promoting that and getting the word out on that. And so that launches on the second. And then I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a course for that because I've learned you can take so much information and bring it more to life through a course as opposed to, I love the book, but there's so much more that I didn't get to put in there that I can you know, step-by-step yeah, yeah. guide people with. So that's what I'm in the middle of developing right now. All right. So you got, you kind of <laughs> managed to free up your time and, uh, and keeping it busy with, with all sorts of different projects. I love it. That's the whole thing was kind of like before when we were stressed with time and money, I didn't even have time to think about these things. I was so busy. How do I get the next client? How do I deal with invoicing? And by getting ourselves financially free, now the most important thing was it freed up mental space. And that mental space is what led to all these ideas. I never was able to do that before because I was always kind of so stressed doing in the time for money thing. So now when I can control my time, the ideas keep going. It's just a matter of implementing them. All right. I'm excited to see what you come up with next. So vincentpuglisi.com. We'll uh, link that up in the show notes at sidehustlenation.com slash Vincent, since Puglisi is a little bit harder to spell, but opt in over there. Vincent, man, thank you so much for joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Well, first of all, thank you so much. This is just a pleasure and an honor to be on your show. I love your community. I love everything you're doing. And it's just an honor for me to be talking to you. But yeah, number one thing, would it really comes down to relationships. It has created everything that I could attribute that has been successful in my career in our life has been intentional relationship building. And it's not just a matter of like asking for something like we talked before, always give before receiving. It's opened so many doors because so many people are so used to being asked to do stuff. And if you just really think in terms of a, what can I do to help them out? What can I do to support them? Can I buy their book? Can I leave a review? Can I send a referral to them? It's just a trusted resource. And some, it's just something, it builds trust. People like you and you build great relationships from that. And then from there, all types of opportunity arises. So that's concentrate on real authentic relationship building from the start. And so many opportunities happen. So true. It comes down to relationships. Vincent, thank you so much. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Vincent Puglisi as much as I did. I met Vincent at Podcast Movement in August, where we bonded over some late night nachos. But as you heard, a very inspiring and very relatable dude to talk to. All right. My top takeaways from this call with Vincent. Number one, are you using your skills correctly? That little insight from Vincent's dad is golden. You have a skill, but you're not using it correctly. Your current employer is obviously one buyer for your skills, but 
are they the only game in town? Would somebody else value this more? And it kind of reminds me of the value-based pricing discussions we've had with Matt Inglot and Jonathan Stark on the show, uh, episodes 176 and 154, if you want to check those out, where in an ideal world, you're not selling your time, you're selling a result. It was interesting to me as well to hear Vincent's reluctance to taking on these other forms of work. Hey, look, I'm a journalist. And so maybe there's takeaway 1.5 is to swallow your pride. Sometimes you got to do the thing you don't want to do, or maybe hadn't considered doing to get where you want to go. Takeaway number two is figure out how much is enough. In the book, Vincent writes that he and his wife recently became millionaires in terms of net worth, which is awesome. But he said, hey, look, we've never made more than $130,000 in a year. And in most years, a lot less than that. But once they'd killed their debt, it wasn't about working harder and earning more for the sake of earning more. They figured out what they needed to live on and did enough to get there. It was more about the time freedom to pursue work they enjoyed, to be able to say no to projects that they didn't want to do, to be able to spend time with the kids, and now to tackle new and exciting projects. The quote, everybody thought we were crazy, stood out to me because even though those are goals those are goals we probably all say we wanted, but we don't always act like it, or at least act like it with such discipline. So how much is enough, really? Takeaway number three is your network is your net worth. Vincent said this in his number one tip. It's all about relationships, and it's so true. Just think about the examples from this story. I mean, booking a wedding, uh, booking a wedding client from the instructor at your baby class at the hospital, sending free leads to the competition, the quote competition and having them return the favor, getting field access at sporting events, and even collaborating on a course launch because you happen to put yourself in the same room at the same mastermind retreat. Your network is your net worth. Notes and links for this one along with a free downloadable PDF highlight reel summary are at sidehustlenation.com slash Vincent. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hit the subscribe button in the podcast player app, and it'll be automatically beamed to your device next Thursday morning. I'll see you then. Hustle on.